0: Okay, I am back after a couple of week absence. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting how angry people get if I don't put a podcast up every week or so, uh, or maybe even more. But um, yeah, so lots and lots of people have been asking me uh, when it's coming out, when is the new one coming out, and it's kind of nice actually. I, I didn't realize people would enjoy this so much, and um, I have... Uh, I have to cover a wide range of educational backgrounds, you know, because a lot of people that listen to this have no medical background. And so I have to tailor whatever I'm talking about to them, but also I have um, a lot of science professionals who listen to this, including physicians, and also a lot of medical legal death investigators. So people who are actively investigating deaths. So um, it's a little bit of a balance for me to toe the line and not do something that's too simple for the the, the medical professionals, and uh, you know, or something that's too complex for people who don't have a medical background. So um, yeah, uh, basically this week we're going to do a case. and that case is going to be a short, uh, you know, hopefully 15-minute or so case that you can listen to. And and it's kind of a, uh, I wouldn't say that it's a typical type thing that we see, but it's something that you have to watch out for, uh, particularly if you're investigating this kind of thing, uh, but also if you... uh, In this case, it's uh, going to be a child case. In case you're a parent, it's something for you to watch out for. Um, And, of course, if you're a medical professional that sees pediatric patients, um, it's definitely a a good uh, example. Now, uh, a lot of times I will talk about things in the news, uh, current cases and things like that um, on this podcast, but there really hasn't been much ever since the uh, Bob Saget Uh, autopsy results were released. And that was uh, pretty interesting because, of course, everything I said was, you know, uh, that I had predicted on it was correct. And um, the investigation showed that there was nobody who uh, entered his hotel room. Um, It was impossible. He had to be alone. And so, you know, I got to take a victory lap a little bit on that. There was a a write-up in Medscape about my podcast uh, Medscape is kind of a website that um, many, many, hundreds of thousands of physicians uh, get. and they uh, had to do this write up because um, it was actually actually uh, Judy Melanick, if you've read that book, uh, working St- uh, not, yeah, Working Stiff, um, which was about her time when she was in fellowship in New York. Uh, and she's a forensic pathologist. She lives in New Zealand now. And um, she did this, this write-up about the article. And basically, any of us who are in forensics, I mean, we saw the results of this Bob Saget thing, and we just sort of nodded our heads and said, yep, that's exactly what we would expect. But there's some people... Um, you know, <laughs> physicians on the internet, uh, uh, particularly people who don't actually see trauma cases. And uh, of course, if you listen to my podcast, you know I was targeting people like Sanjay Gupta, who, uh, you know, is a neurosurgeon and he speaks about everything because that's what he's paid as the medical correspondent at CNN. He can just give his opinion on anything. But um, if you're not trained in a particular area, your opinion doesn't really have a high value. Um, and so there's, uh, a neurosurgeon, I think in Los Angeles, and frankly, I don't even know his name, but I know he was arguing with some of the forensic pathologists on Twitter, including myself, and he was, it would come so wrong. It was sad. I mean, it was actually like watching, um, a newborn kitten, uh, you know, a kitten that tries to walk and can't walk and they fall down and they, they just, uh, sort of look foolish stumbling around. Um, that's what that neurosurgeon, uh looks like. And here's what's funny about that. He wouldn't back off, um, even though we easily uh, refuted his ridiculous arguments. Um, he just kept going. He, And that's the thing, people, I want you to listen to. Uh, it's okay to be wrong about something. Like when you have new information that uh, completely upends your worldview and your opinion, Um, if it's irrefutable, you have to just, you know, be humble and say, you know what? I was wrong. I didn't realize this. Uh, But see, that's the problem when you have neurosurgeons and people who are malignant narcissists in medicine, is that um, they adopt an opinion and then they simply won't back off no matter how much evidence is to the contrary. And that's an unfortunate thing uh, because, you're going to be wrong more than you're right in cases like that. So anyway, just wanted to take a little victory lap uh, and just, you know, kind of um, because I'm kind of a sore winner. Like um, if you know me, you know, I'm a very competitive person. And so like if you were playing basketball with me and I'm and I'm beating you like I want to beat you a hundred to nothing. Like I don't want to be merciful at all. So, yeah, to all the neurosurgeons out there listening to this, thank you uh, for allowing forensic pathologists to get the spotlight for a little bit and make you look like fools. Um, actually, I'm just kidding. I mean, all, all the neurosurgeons I personally know are actually very cool people, and I'm very grateful for them. Uh, but some of these ones that that try to get on. Uh, social media and they get like these conspiracy likes. I mean, come on, man. Uh, anyway, so let's let's go to the case for today. So um, as I said, this is a pediatric case, and um, you know, a lot of times when I talk about, I don't really talk about pediatric stuff online because anything involving kids, people they they just flip out, and they're they're you know with the trigger warnings and all that stuff, and because people can't. Um, It handle very well pediatric cases. I mean, it's tough, right, when a child dies. No child should die, like, period, Um, you know, of natural disease even. And it is unfortunate that um, it is a reality that we deal with. And so, as pathologists, autopsy pathologists, we have to figure out why that is. And people... Uh, often ask me, you know, do you, how do you emotionally handle a case like this? Uh, can you just, do you just scream, cry into your pillow at night? And the answer is no, not at all. Um, we look at these cases as an opportunity to provide closure to the to the family. So I don't get overly emotional with pediatric cases. And uh, because I know that we're going to be able to provide closure most of the time. And then for cases involving a criminal element, we very often can provide justice to these uh, these little ones that are lost. Now, this case, uh, let's go ahead and just kind of do the clinical history. And I want you to think about the kind of things it could be. Uh, so this is a two-and-a-half-year-old. Um you know, not uh, a kid who's old enough to really articulate really well in sentences, can kind of speak, you know, some words here and there, short sentences, um, but uh, doesn't speak English. This is from a non-English speaking family, and the child um, develops abdominal pain or appears to b- develop uh, abdominal pain and is screaming and uh, and crying like little children do, and um, And so the the parents uh, are not from the United States and they try some, you know, uh, kind of remedies that aren't traditional medicine. Um, And in this particular culture, um, it was an East Asian culture um, and they, you know, had various remedies that they tried and uh, nothing could be, nothing seemed to stop the kid from crying. You know, so they take the kid to the doctor, and uh, this little kid, they have to have a translator come in, and they try to understand, you know, the the symptoms that are happening. And the kid's crying, and, you know, kind of back and forth with in terms of the discomfort uh, level with this kid. And so, basically, um, you've got a situation where the doctor, you know, the medical provider... um, you know, sort of gives uh, some basic advice on, you know, colicky type stuff. I mean, you know, when you get to like two or so, uh, the, the term of colic, you know, you think that more with little babies, like little three month old, six months old and that, that type of thing. So abdominal pain in a toddler in this case, well, um, you know, they provide some pain relief and they provide some, I think it was some anti-gas medication and things like that. um, the exam for the doctor was not; uh, it was not overwhelming. There wasn't like a, a super rigid abdomen, for instance, when you have uh, either a kid or an adult that has a super rigid abdomen. Um, you know, that's something you really have to start thinking about surgical emergencies. Well, in this case, uh, they're discharged. You know, from uh, I think I can't remember if it was a pediatric ER or if it was a uh, a clinic. But uh, on the way home, the child is continuing to cry, continuing to scream, and suddenly, um, you know, goes unresponsive, um, absolutely just stops making noise. And so momentarily, the parents think, oh, okay, well, I guess things are sorted out. You know, they got a little pain medication. And so a few minutes go by, and there's no, uh, there's basically nothing there. There's no, Sound at all coming from the baby, so uh, they check on this little child and they find out that um, he's not breathing at all. So immediately they turn around, drive to the ER. The child is unresponsive. They weren't too uh, far away to where they were going to pull over and call nine one one. They literally just drove back to the hospital. This kid, um, they 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 work him, you know. Um, it's a code blue there's no respirations there's no heart rate any of that stuff and unfortunately the kid dies right because if if the kid lived i probably wouldn't be talking about it cuz i wouldn't have seen the case um so we are brought uh this child to the autopsy and you know, there's always a concern, by the way, for those who are medical legal death investigators listening to this. Um, when you have a child die, and especially one who can't speak, uh, who, who is not able to speak for themselves, and there's not a good record of the medical history and things like that, you do have to start thinking about homicide. I mean, you at least have to rule it out. So in this case, there was, um, uh, you know, a concern the The police were involved, and there was a concern that could this child have been abused and uh, injured? And this is what the uh, the problem was. Well, uh, so you know, the police were there. The police came to the autopsy, and uh, basically, uh, I was, you know, I was there, police was there. um child protective services was there. and we um, we go ahead and we do the autopsy. And so a pediatric autopsy uh, for a toddler, um, you know, proceeds pretty much the same way. So we're going to do a lot of photography and we're going to look for trauma because children who are victims of trauma, very often they, you have external signs of trauma. So we're talking about obviously broken or dislocated bones. You're looking at bruises, contusions. You're looking in the mouth to see if there are injuries in the mouth for a child who's been hit in the mouth, things like that. Um, but this child had no trauma. So le- legitimately no trauma whatsoever. Uh, head to toe, front to back. So this was an interesting case because this is one where as pretty much as soon as I opened, I knew what the diagnosis was. Um, and I'm going to tell you what that looked like. So a uh, typical Y-shaped incision on on the, the chest and the abdomen. And the abdomen was distended. So that was kind of one of the features of this case from an external perspective. And as soon as the scalpel blade goes from the chest to the abdomen, um, it just, it almost pops uh, like a, an audible uh, pop. And then the bowel itself, the small intestine actually extruded out from, from the incision. I mean, just almost instantly, like it had burst open. And I knew uh, at that exact moment what the diagnosis was because the bowel itself was basically dead. Uh, the bowel was a purplish gray color and we actually will use the term dusky to re- refer to that. So a dusky bowel. So you're probably thinking, well, thanks, Dr. Wolf. I've never really seen what a, a, an intestine looks like. So I don't really have a, a, a reference. Well, uh, so let me tell you that the small intestine itself, on the surface of the small intestine, which we call the serosa, uh, the, the surface of the small intestine is kind of a light tan color, kind of a tan pink color um it can have a greenish appearance if there's bile uh, that has entered the bowel Uh, but for the most part it's soft it's tan pink and it's just like little tubing like you would imagine uh well in this case it was like i said dark purple grayish brown so you know at that point that the bowel is dead and i knew that the answer on this case now um for those medical professionals listening, um, you know, obviously think of the differential diagnosis for a child that has a, uh, a clear a bowel obstruction of some sort. So there are different options for bowel obstructions uh, for children, uh, two of which are very common. And, uh, and the answer uh, in the differential diagnosis in this case is going to be a volvulus which I will explain, an intussusception, which I will explain shortly, or a traditional, some kind of um, actual physical bowel obstruction from something uh, within the bowel, which, uh, you know, probably wouldn't necessarily kill the entire bowel. I mean, usually when you see a large segment of small intestine that's dead, it means that there is a vascular compromise. And so what that means is the vessel is blocked for some reason. In adults... The the usual cause for that is mesenteric ischemia. So that's where you have a blockage in the arteries that go to the bowel. Uh, That's the most common, usually seen in people who smoke, people with clotting disorders, people uh, with a lot of atherosclerosis. But this child, the answer was volvulus. So what is a volvulus? Okay, a volvulus is where a piece of the bowel itself actually twists on itself and it twists uh, just like if you were to twist, uh, you know, a balloon or or twist uh, uh, some kind of, uh, uh, you know, like if you have like a plastic bag and you were to twist it on itself. And that's what a volvulus is, and it twists on itself. So you're probably thinking, okay, well, my guts are in my bowel. Everybody has uh, an intestine, and it's just sort of like slopping around in there. So why doesn't this happen more often? Why haven't I heard of this or something? Uh, Well, the thing is, it is not very common, but it's common enough to where I've seen it a handful of times, usually in people, uh, in kids who are under five years old. And what happens is, because that bowel will actually uh, twist on itself in, in the mesentery. Sometimes it's in the, the mesentery, which is the connective tissue that will uh, connect the bowel to the posterior abdominal wall. Um, uh, what happens is the blood vessels, when you twist them off, then there's no blood that can get through. Okay, um, And so when that happens, you, the, the clock starts for that bowel. And, uh, basically it can create a bowel infarction. It actually just kills the bowel. And so you have to go back to the clinical on this kid. Um, he was crying a lot, you know, holding, you know, holding his abdomen, crying, that sort of thing. And, you know, um, not uncommon for kids to have abdominal pain. So, um, you do have to think about things like volvulus, acute appendicitis, and things of that nature. Um, This was very interesting because um, I could literally put my hands on the intestine and untwist it. And when it untwisted, you could see right. You could see the demarcation between the living bowel, which was healthy and tan pink, right to the purple and uh, the purplish, dusky colored bowel. And so, uh, what happens is these kids, uh, they can become septic, which means the, the bacteria within the bowel can enter the bloodstream and cause, you know, an acute sepsis and a multi-system organ failure. Um, they can become, you know, acutely hypertensive uh, because of, of the twisting of the bowel. And so, uh, the as far as the uh, death investigation portion of this, you know, as a death investigator, you're going to think, okay, we got a kid here with a sudden, uh, unexplained death, and we got to worry about murder here. Well, volvulus isn't from trauma. But you do have to think about this. But when the bowel, open, when you look at the bowel, and you see this, and the pathologist is able to literally untwist the bowel and show right where it is, this is a, unfortunately a natural disease process, and um, we don't necessarily have a lot of good reasons why this happens. Sometimes it'll happen due to a tumor that's uh, that's in the bowel, in that area, you can get an obstruction, it twists twist on itself. But other times there's, there's no explanation for why it happens. And in this child, there was actually no explanation because what happens is, is I'll take the intestines completely out and I will do what's called running the bowel. So that means I put a pair of scissors in the intestine and I cut the entire thing uh, from start to finish. And I look for some reason why this volvulus occurred. Um, and so, unfortunately, that was the cause of death in this case. So we had an acute volvulus. Um, that would be, you know, the cause of death: small bowel obstruction due to volvulus. Um, the manner of death is natural. In this case, and then as far as differential diagnosis, the other thing, um, you may have heard me say the word intussusception. That's a very uh, unusual word that anybody outside of medicine probably doesn't really know that word. So intussusception is the word. And what that is, that is when a piece uh, or a segment of the, the intestine will actually telescope in on itself. And. Um, and it will, that will also cause an obstru- obstruction with acute abdominal pain. And those can be cured, uh, you know, there there are different ways to cure those. Uh, it can be surgically or, or non-surgically, I think, sometimes. And they basically can reduce that that telescoping um, uh, structure that has occurred in the bowel, sort of like at the end of the small intestine, the beginning of the large intestine. Um, so, yeah, that that is a, uh, unfortunately... Uh, or I mean, fortunately, not a common uh, cause of death that I've seen. You know, those are surgical emergencies that are usually taken care of. I think in this particular case, there was an issue with language barrier. I don't think um, they were articulating precisely what had occurred, you know, what uh, the situation was or the length of the situation. Um, They spoke an uncommon language that uh, it was difficult to find a a translator for in my the area where I was working at the time. So I think there was a communication breakdown that could have been a problem, uh, you know, possibly with severity or duration of symptoms. So in this case, communication might have been an issue. And uh, you know, uh, that's basically uh, um, something to take away from this is that, uh, with with uh, acute abdominal pain, you, know, you, don't, you can't let that go very long. And now this, this part, I'm speaking to people listening who have children or know people who have children. Um, you have to understand, though, that not all abdominal pain is going to be a volvulus or an intussusception or some kind of bowel obstruction. A lot of times it's just gas. Um, it's just, I mean, I've seen children where the abdomen is hard, you press in on it and there is, you know, guarding and tenderness and a firm abdomen and they're actually, they just have gas, but you, you have to be able to rule out. Severe things. The other thing you would want to rule out in this case would be something like an acute appendicitis. Okay, so appendicitis is actually very common in the age group of of, of 10 or 12 and younger, and even more common in kind of six, five, four. I have actually seen multiple cases of a death due to acute appendicitis in children. And uh, very often it is abdominal pain that is um, kind of ignored for a while or kind of put on the back burner. Um, I've seen some Amish families, um, where, and I think I had a um, Christian science family who, you know, they don't believe in in modern medicine. So if somebody's sick and they die, then that's just the will of God and all that stuff. Um, So I've seen a case like that, and I've seen other uh, situations where you've had kind of the nausea and abdominal pain and the vomiting, and they thought, oh, this is just kind of a gastroenteritis, it'll run its course. Well, unfortunately, um, it, it it can produce death, uh, particularly when there's a rupture. So what you have to do in this case, um, as a uh, parent, I know people listening are probably horrified. Every time there's an abdominal pain, they're probably going to think it's some something really bad. And um, and that's, I know that's tough because I see the cases where the outcome is the worst it can be. So I'm constantly thinking of the worst case scenario when I see things like this. Um, for you, I mean, I think the, the key here is to not let things go too long. Um, you know, and what is too long? Five hours, 12 hours, two days. Um, si- my thing is significant discomfort without relief Is probably a situation where you need to see some someone to get help, whether it's an urgent care or pediatrician's office, something like that. If you're giving some kind of therapy and it's not helping um, and it's not getting better, and in fact it's getting worse, you have to at least rule out. So at minimum, there's gonna be some imaging. And you can rule that out. They might get some blood work and look for leukocytosis or high white blood cell count. Very often, people with things like appendicitis will run a fever, um, uh, or they'll have a high white count. So um, all of these abdominal conditions you have to you have to think of. And I would say, uh, on average, in my career, which again, I'm not, you know, I don't have like a 40 year career. I'm I'm still sort of young in my career, but I have about one of these cases a year on average, where it's an acute appendicitis, a volvulus, something like that, uh, some kind of acute bowel obstruction in the pediatric population. Now in the adult population, I actually see mesenteric ischemia a handful of times a year. And so again, that's where you have the arteries that supply the bowel. So this would be like superior mesenteric artery, inferior mesenteric artery. And then you'll open them up. They'll have a bunch of gas The bowel will be distended. It will be dusky and ugly looking. And basically, once you cut the bowel out and you look at the mesenteric arteries, you'll see a huge occlusion, sometimes an acute thrombus. So, in other words, a complete occlusion. And so, when you don't have blood going to an organ, that organ is going to die. So, that's the fundamental pathology takeaway here. Doesn't matter if it's brain, heart, kidney or bowel. If you block the blood supply, you are blocking nutrients, you are blocking oxygen. So you're going to get hypoxia, you're going to get ischemia. Um, and then you have the clock ticking on each organ. Some, some organs can handle it longer than others. Brain, which is the consistency of kind of like flan or jello, is not going to tolerate it for very long. Something like a kidney might be able to tolerate it a little longer. Um, the intestine is somewhere in between. So I think that's uh, the bulk of this case. I wanted to get an episode up fairly quickly uh, because it's been a little while. Um, I've been very busy. You know, I've had uh, lots and lots of autopsies for the first two months of the year. And then, of course, there's the deluge of of just fan obsession with me you know obviously i can't even go into a grocery store um it must have been like you know uh you know elvis in like the 1970s and women are throwing their bras up on stage and stuff that's basically what happens when i leave the house and so uh you know show a little respect uh try to to be calm uh when you see me Uh, don't tackle me in public and um we'll go from there so this is going to be a quick case if i'm lucky maybe i can do these more more often And I can do more cases and get more episodes up. And then, of course, if a celebrity dies or something, I can can talk about that. And then I will be shouting into the void with the correct answer while the conspiracy theorists overwhelm everybody with the wrong answers. And then, um, so that's usually what happens. But um, in fact, um, just a quick note, this week I had somebody who, after months and months, Commented on one of my videos about how I was incorrect about the Brian Laundrie case and that um, just because I do this for a living doesn't mean I'm correct. And, uh, you know, I I asked them how many autopsies they've done on bodies that have been decayed in fresh water with animal and insect activity. And, you know, strangely, they didn't answer that question. So, um, as I always say, you can Google facts but you cannot Google experience, and that's the... I ought to make a t-shirt with that. Would you guys buy a t-shirt that says you can Google facts but not experience? We'll put that in the merch store. I don't have a merch store, but maybe I will someday. Okay, that's going to be it for this case. Uh, The answer is volvulus, uh, somewhat frequent cause of death involving the bowel in young kids, okay? Okay. So think of that whenever you have a pediatric case, uh, firm abdomen, intractable abdominal pain, and a sudden death. Uh, It's not always going to be child abuse. Not every sudden death in a child is some kind of child abuse. So uh, with that, we're going to wrap it up, and uh, thanks for listening, and uh, hopefully we'll get out an episode sooner than later. Thank you.